You know, we love our moms. We also love our dads. And, of course, today's Father's Day, and it's a day that we celebrate our fathers. I have many fond memories of my father. My father taught me many things. He, he taught me how to treat others well, to treat others with respect. He always said, put yourself in the other person's shoes. He said, you know, Rex, we sing that song, all men, read, all, he, he taught me that all men are created equal. And in, in church, we sang the song, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Well, he lived that out. Not once did I ever see my dad treat another person as if they weren't a person that was loved by God. He taught me this principle of equality. My father taught me many things. He taught me not to be afraid of heights. When I was a little boy, probably five or six years of age, my dad uh, took my brother and I swimming. And we loved to swim, and I was a little bit of a fish, and I would uh, swim everywhere. And, and I was going off the low dive, and my brother and my dad were going off the high dive. I was probably five, maybe six years of age. And I said, Dad, can I go off the high dive? And he said, well, sure, Rex, if you want to. And so we got in line, and, you know, there was a long line there, and finally it got to be my turn to go up the high dive. Well, the rungs of the ladder are really quite far apart, almost too far apart for a five-, six-year-old boy. And I went from one rung to the next, and my dad kind of followed me up to the top of the ladder. And when I got up there, I realized, wow, this is really high. And he said, Dad, said, go on, go on. And, and so I walked out to the edge of the board, and I looked down, and, and I was scared. And Dad said, go on, just jump. And I came back to him. He said, just run off the edge. I said, Dad, I'm scared. By this time, the crowd's starting to, you know, back up, and, and there are people there waiting in line, and, and Dad said, just go on, jump. It'll be okay, just jump. Finally, he came out on the board, and he said, Rex, do you trust me? Give me your hands. And I reached up my hands and grabbed my dad's hands. My dad took me, and he just kind of lifted me over the side of the board <laughs> and dropped me. <clears throat> You know, from that day until this, I've never been afraid of heights. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, I've always loved heights. My dad taught me a lot of things. He taught me the value of hard work. He taught me how to ice skate, how to roller skate. He taught me how to swim. He taught me how to ride a bicycle, how to drive a car. My dad taught me a lot of things. Well, you know, our Heavenly Father, he wants to teach us things as well. And we're here today to learn from him. You ever remember your father saying, Rex, son, daughter, are you listening? Pay attention. James chapter 1 verse 22 says this. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Do what it says. You see, it's the application of the Word of God that blesses us. It's the application. It's in the doing that we are blessed as followers of Christ. Do not merely listen to the Word. Obey it. Do not merely read 
God's word. Live by it. Just don't be a Bible quizzer. Be a Bible doer. Live by faith. Walk with him. There's a group called the Gottman Group who has done a, a lot of research over the years. And, and one of the researches that they did was they began to observe conversations that people have, conversations that you have in your family, conversations that you have between, your, between husband and wife, conversations that you have in your workplace, conversations that you have at your home. And they found that there was a common denominator. They found that there were six criticisms for every word of encouragement. Six criticisms for every word of encouragement. So we get that one word of encouragement that says, Thank you for being a good friend. Thank you for being a good husband. Thank you for being a good wife. Thank you for being a great son. Thank you for being a great daughter. Thank you for being such a good and valuable employee. Thank you for being such a good boss. Thank you for finishing that task. We get that one encouraging word to six negatives, six criticisms. Why don't you ever listen to me? Why can't you ever do a job right? Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you do this? Why can't you... Do that. And so there's six criticisms for every word of encouragement. You see, it explains a lot of things, doesn't it? It explains why in our society today there's such dysfunction in our society. Well, the Scripture wants to teach us an application. That if we apply to our lives, are you listening? There's a valuable application here today. It's the principle of encouragement. If you allow the principle of encouragement to impact your life, if you allow the Word of God to impact your life, it will make a difference in the lives of those around you. You see, we have to fight this tendency. This is our our natural tendency to be critical Of one another. And we have to fight that and begin to become more and more encouragers. The scripture text today is found in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. Now, Proverbs was written by Solomon, and Solomon was considered to be one of the richest and the wisest men ever to live. Let me ask you a question as you turn to the Bible. Over the last seven days, if you were to record your conversations, would your conversations look more like this? Or would you be more prone to conversations of encouragement? You see, we have an opportunity to influence an inner circle, our family, our friends, those people who are part of that inner circle of our lives. We also have an opportunity to, to influence those that we have well, influence on. People that you work with, people that you have associations with. And then, of course, we have an opportunity to influence just people in life every day. It's amazing what a positive word 
the difference it'll make in someone's life. It's so rare that they hear it six to one. That when you give a positive word of encouragement, it'll stand out. And you see, as followers of Christ, we're to make a difference. We often pray this prayer. God, would you bless Susie? And God says, I have blessed Susie. And the blessing has a name. And the name is your name. You see, God calls us to be a blessing to one another. To encourage one another in the faith. To be salt and light in our world. To make a difference for the kingdom of God. And the principle of this blessing is found in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. The scripture says, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Who doesn't need being refreshed? Who doesn't need times of encouragement of their, in their lives? We're to encourage one another. You see, every man wrestles with this question. Do I have what it takes to do this job? Every woman wrestles with this question. Do I have what it takes to do this job? Do I have what it takes to be a good leader? Do I have what it takes to be a good husband or a good wife? Do I have what it takes to be a good father or or a good mother? Do I have what it takes? And the world says to us, no, no, you don't. Six times to one. And if you go home, And your world looks like the world. And six times to one. That's a tough place to be. You see, there's a principle of encouragement found here in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. We must encourage one another. Fathers, I want to encourage you to teach your children to respect Others. Fathers, it's important that you love your daughters. Not for what they do, but for who they are. Your words mean so much to them. And they value your words. Our society with cover magazines and all those types of things, have these images to live up to. And if we're not changing this pattern, this is a tough place to be. And yet society tells us this is the norm. Well, this should not be in the church. In the book... um, Saving Your Marriage Before It Begins, Les and Leslie Parrott uh, talk about three things that a man needs, a husband needs, and three things that a woman needs. The first thing that a woman needs is she needs to be cherished. She needs to know that she's number one in your, in your life. And guys, if you get this, if you get the fact that your wife needs to be cherished, it's an amazing thing. 
Once she's comfortable with this reality that she's cherished and she's number one in your life, she releases you to do the things um, in your life that are, that are important to you along with your family. But if, if you don't show her that, then there's this constant battle in the relationship. Number one thing is she needs to be cherished. Number two, she needs to be known. Are you listening to me? Are you listening? And the third thing is, she needs to know that her voice matters. She needs to know that you respect her and that you value her opinion. Things that men need. He needs to be admired or respected. About a month ago, I came home on a Sunday morning, and Debbie said to me, "Uh, Rex, you're doing a good job. And I admire what you're doing through the interim and how God has used you and, and just encouraged me with several words. Well, her words meant everything to me. As a matter of fact, her words were so much more significant than any of your words because I valued her opinion. It's a basic need that I have. He also, a man needs autonomy. He needs space. Sometimes we just need space to work through it. We like to solve problems, and so we just need to fix the problem. I remember planning for trips, mission trips, and one time I took 183 teens to Mexico, and we had four coaches leaving every 12 hours, and it was this big, uh, detailed trip. And the week before, Debbie learned from experience just to give me my space. I needed my autonomy. The third thing that a man needs is to, he needs shared activities. And I think we, we underestimate the importance of that. I, I remember the Childers when they were uh, uh, dating, not dating, when they were married and they had all 13 kids at home and, and they would go on dates. And it would take, it was very intentional because they had to find four, three or four or five babysitters. <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking, wow. That is significant in their lives and shared activity. And that's important to us as a man. We need shared activities. So how do we change this ratio? Well, you know, a place where we really do this well is at funerals. And we go to a funeral and we say, oh, he was such a great man. He loved to fish. I I never knew anybody who was such a great sportsman. She was an amazing cook. She was an encourager. She was a supporter. He was such a godly man. It's amazing the friendships that he had. But there's a problem with this. Why do we wait? Why do we wait to give roses? You see, we should do this while today is still today. We should be a people who are transformed by God in such a way that we live our lives giving the roses, sharing 
words of encouragement. I'm not talking about platitudes. I'm talking about love. I mean loving people not because of, loving people because you are loved. And God instructs us to love one another. Not because of what they've done, but because God loves you. How many businesses fail to recognize the power of encouraging words? Jeff Henderson tells a story about when he was an intern at Chick-fil-A. He was in the corporate headquarters, and he was working with Jimmy Collins, the president at the time. And he said, I went into Jimmy Collins' office, and he was burning paper. And, of course, any time a president is burning paper, it can't be a good thing. And he said, Jimmy, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm writing letters to my, our associates who are doing well with reaching their goal and making sales. And he says, well, what's the, what's the lighter for? He says, well, I'm burning the edges and I'm raking the ashes into the envelope. And on this paper it says, your sales are on fire. And I believe in you. He said, then we would have this big corporate event and all the people, all the owners would be invited in. And they would be brought up on stage, those who met their goal. And they would be given a car. And he said, every single one of them said the same thing. It was three quarters through the year. And there was no way possible that we were going to attain the goal. That we were going to make this sales goal. And then I got this letter from Jimmy Collins that says, I believe in you. And I thought to myself, if Jimmy Collins believes in me, who am I not to believe in myself? And from that point on, I decided we were going to reach that goal. And we did. The power of our words. The power of encouragement. You see, encouragement is never small when you're on the receiving end. There are single parents in this room today. That if we're not the church, they're not going to hear a word of encouragement this week. They don't have that spouse. They don't have that support system that you might have. And if the church is not being the church, they may not hear the word of encouragement that you need to give them this week. Let's be the church. There are widows in our fellowship who need encouraging, who need support. I was overwhelmed this week when I heard that 27 of our people went to one of our widows' house and, and, and remodeled the house, put in all this new stuff and helped her to paint and, and get it back. And she had been rented and now she has this home back and the Lord is really providing for her and, and the uh, truth seekers class came alongside her. And what a blessing. The church, being the church... You see, it's always a blessing when we hear that encouragement. The district assembly, um, Pastor Edgar talked to me about that, sun, that Thursday evening at ordination service. He played and he sang for Kent Wright's ordination service. After that ordination service, Dan White, our pastor at the Auburn Church, came to Edgar and said, Edgar, I want to tell you, 
the the way you led that song tonight blessed me. It was your spirit. It was the passion in which you delivered that song. And Edgar told me, Pastor Rex, you have to understand what a difference that made for me. You see, everybody acknowledges my talent, my ability, and my gifts. But here was somebody who saw my passion, my spirit behind why I was doing what I did. (coughs) And it was an encouragement to me. You see, we are called to encourage one another. (coughs) You might say, how do I do that? How do I do that when all the habits I've ever learned are habits of criticism? (coughs) How do we change the patterns? Well, I think one of the ways we begin to change that is we begin to understand who we are in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. We are a new creation. We are loved by God. We are loved so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God wants to transform us into his image. And God loves you. When we begin to understand how much we are loved, and when we take Genesis for what it says that we were created in the image of God, we begin to grasp the reality that every single one in this room, every single person that we rub shoulders with in life was created by God. We begin to re- realize our responsibility in the kingdom. Because these are our brothers and sisters. They were all created in the image of God. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. Wednesday night I went home. Got home from camp meeting and uh, it was 11.30 at night and I wasn't feeling very well. My, My ears were popping, I had a sore throat. It's been a long time since I've had strep, but I just wasn't feeling well. I was running a, a low grade temperature and I, I went to bed. Debbie had the, we had the grandkids there, so Debbie was upstairs so she could hear them and I was downstairs with, by myself, so I was wrestling. I couldn't sleep and I was, oh Lord, I'm so tired, please let me sleep. You've been there. I had the cold chills and, you know, I couldn't get warm and I went in and, you know, take my temperature over and over again, you know, you know, this time it's a hundred. Next time, if I hold it in there a little bit longer, it's one oh hundred point three. You know, play that game, see if you can get a little bit higher. <laughs> it's got to be higher than this because I'm a lot sicker than this. <laughs> I kept having this reoccurring dream. While I was Ivanhoe's that night, um, Andy Cole. One of the pastors at the Muncie, the pastor at the Muncie South Church, uh, said, "How are you doing, Rex?" So uh, you know, we talked a little bit, and he said, "Could I pray for you?" And right there, in the busyness of Ivanhoe's, he put his arm around me, and he prayed for me. 
Well, I kept having this reoccurring dream. I was sitting up in bed, and Annie Cole had his arms around me, holding me, praying for me. And if you're not a hugger, that's more of a nightmare than a dream. <laughs> and I kept going to sleep and then waking up, and I kept having this same dream. And finally I said, Lord, Lord, what is going on? Why do I keep having this same dream? And then I'm reminded of the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, where it says, You show that you are a letter from Christ, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. And the Lord was saying to me that night, Andy Cole is a letter from me. You see, we need words of encouragement from time to time. We become his hands and his feet. And when we're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, when we begin to understand that we are loved by God, John 13 says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. Deuteronomy 3, 31 says, be strong and courageous. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You see, God loves you, and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will give you the strength to stand in opposition to the patterns of this world. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. John 3.1 says, How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us. When we understand the depth of God's love, the fact that he has lavished his love out on us, it is easier for us to our love our world and to be encouragers to one another. I'm not talking about hollow platitudes. I'm talking about genuine faith. Men and women, teenagers, boys and girls who stand up for what's right, who live out their faith, who are salt and light in their world. God is calling you to be salt and light in your world. Not to be like the norm. Not to be like the patterns of this world. But to be transformed into the image of the one who has lavished his love on you. So that you might lavish his love, and become a letter of love to your world. Let us pray. Lord, you've instructed us to cast all of our anxieties on you. And sometimes, Lord, we feel like we can't do it, live out this life. The patterns of this world are so ingrained in who we are. There's fear, there's doubt, there's anxiety. We're afraid to jump in. And we hear your voice. Do you trust me? Give me your hands. And we trust you and you, and you drop us 
into your presence. And you empower us to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Go with us us today, Lord, from this place and help us to live out our faith, to understand this scripture. A generous man will prosper. Help us, Lord, to be generous because you have lavished your love on us. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And as we do the work of God, help us to understand this principle. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.